Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, who's calling in from Canada, um, the province of Alberta, is Annette Tidball. Welcome to the podcast, Annette. Thank you for having me, Richard. Um, We offered a prayer before we went live and just wanted to give you an overview of the podcast that you'll be hearing. Annette is active LDS, has six children, is a convert to the church. She joined the church in her late teens with her with her who then became her husband Brian, who also joined the church. Brian died in their mid thirties um, in a plane crash. That was about nine years ago. And Annette's been felt impressed to then write a book that's coming out. By the time this podcast is released, the book should be out on Amazon. It's called Fly Again. And so we'll be talking about that book, but we'll be talking especially about Annette's journey um, in the prime of her life, so to speak, with kids at home, uh, mid-30s, and have her husband suddenly die. I don't know this space, listeners. I haven't had anybody close to me die tragically like this, so I wouldn't know what to say to help Annette, and I just admire her being willing to be on the podcast and share her journey so that um, we know what to say to people that have had a loved one tragically die. And also, if we've um, the hope that Annette gives us, who's walking this road of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope it gives us in this great eternal plan when something really devastating happens in mortality. Um, is that an okay introduction, Annette? Yeah, that sounds wonderful. So it's a cold op- October day we're recording this podcast. I think the temperature in Utah is 20 degrees below normal, and maybe it is in, in Alberta. But um, let's start with you joining the church. Tell our listeners just how you became interested in the church and what led you to join the church. Oh, I had so many questions. Um, I actually wasn't living at home. This is probably another different story, but I had left home at 15, and um, I was searching. And I ended up, I was working at a grocery store part-time, and I asked my friend, so here's a shout-out to Tanya Martin-Handley, and um, I just had a question about heaven and hell, and it really um, bothered me that I didn't quite understand. And so she said, well, actually, we believe in kingdoms. <laughs> and then she said, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that to you. Uh, but that's what piqued my interest. And uh, I started to, you know, take the discussions. And I had some wonderful spiritual experiences that testified to me that this was the true church. And so I got baptized. That's a great, that's a pretty short story. That's great. Um, I love the way different pieces of doctrine are often the thing that brings people into our restored church. I know my own father-in-law joined the church over food storage, Annette. He lived in Houston. He's still alive, and that's not really a, a doctrine of our church, but it's part of a, our, you know, it's just something that then drew him into the church, and he got to know the whole picture and realized that was part of his plan to join the church. And my wife was about two or three at the time, and um, grew up in the church because of um, her parents' decision, but it was food storage that was the thing that wow. parked their family interest, just like kingdoms um, parked your yeah, family. Yeah, I needed to know that there was a place for people who weren't the good or the bad, right? The in-between, and and definitely meeting with the missionaries showed me that 
there is that in-between and learning more about um, the spirit of Elijah and, and the eternal plan. Yeah. And it's uh, not interesting. Introduce your husband who's since died, um, Brian. Um, were you da- Brian joined the church sometime around when you did. Will you just share with us a little bit about his conversion story? Oh, actually, he didn't join when I did. I joined at 18, but when I met him, um, I was about 24, 25. And that's when he was a bicycle courier downtown. And I also worked downtown in the mailroom at a law firm. And we, uh, we said our casual hellos, and I thought this gentleman was quite interesting and very cute. And so I, I had just come out of a divorce, and I was a little gun-shy. And so I asked if he wanted to meet with the missionaries. Actually, what I said was, hey, do you want to meet with two friends of mine? And he didn't catch on to my hinting, so then I just came right out and said, would you like to meet with the missionaries and to see what I believe, what I, you know, what I stand for? And he said, sure. And then next I know, he's telling me that he's getting baptized, and that was very exciting. I wasn't part of his discussions. I wasn't part of of um, him at all meeting with the missionaries. He, I set them up, and away they went, and, and um, yeah, so... It was very wonderful to see um, the difference. So (laughs) my kids don't believe this story too well, but I remember we were standing in line um, waiting for a pizza, and somebody butted in front of us in line, and and he he got a little bit um, upset. And I thought, oh, no, he's one of those guys. But then I never saw that in him again. So he joined the church, and I never ever saw his an impatient side to him. <laughs> so chalk that up to joining the gospel, joining the church. I I never saw him be impatient. Um I love the way that you were interested in him, but you first went to um would you like to be interested in our church? <laughs> um and then that ended up working out it sounds like a surprise. And when did mm-hmm. you how long after he was baptized did you marry him? Months. <laughs> we actually got married very quickly. Um, yeah, I talk about this a lot in my book about how heaven brought us together. And um, so he got baptized in April. We were married in July. So that's how how that you know went down. And he, um, we actually started to date the beginning of April. So it was very fast. But if I look back now, and I have obviously, I can see why we were brought together so quickly because we didn't have a lot of time to be together. Wow. We didn't have any time to waste, Richard. <laughs> I like that. So here you are. Um, you're in your mid tw- I think you two are the same age. Um, So you're Mm -hmm. both around 24, 25. He joins the church at that age, um, and then you get married. Uh, That is really exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about Brian. Um, And we realize, I think our listeners understand, Brian died in a plane crash nine years ago. So I sometimes don't talk about people in the past tense because I think they're still with us. (laughs) And um, And so tell us about Brian. Well, he was very adventurous. 
was always exercising, always outdoors um, focused. So camping, riding his mountain bike. Like I said, he was a bicycle courier. So he would, when we were newly married, he would ride his bike downtown, ride around downtown doing his deliveries and ride all the way back. Didn't matter if it was freezing, winter, and we get minus 30 degrees Celsius. So that's very, very cold. Um, He was a runner. He loved running. If you can imagine a very, uh, he was six feet tall and he was very slender. Uh, He loved, I remember one time he said he was going to build, he loved watching weird shows and reading weird books like how to survive bear attacks and 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 so sometimes he'd have the children with him and he'd be reading them this surviving a bear attack bedtime story um but i remember him telling me he wanted to build um a fort in the snow that was ergonomical for his body and that he wanted to sleep in there overnight. And they said, you're absolutely crazy. I'm not letting you sleep out there. (laughs) It's freezing cold. So he really loved to be outside. And he was the most gentle, patient man I ever met. He, when I would speak, sometimes when we first started dating, I thought, is he asleep on the other side of the phone? But he was actually listening And then he'd ask me a question based on what I had just said. So I really knew that this is a man to pay attention to. He always made everybody feel like they were the most important person in that moment. My girls all thought that they were his number one favorite child. And when I would speak to people who knew him, who worked with him, he just had a way of stopping what he was doing and giving you his full attention. And when he passed away, I went and I read his journal. You know, you're just hungry to hear and feel and see anything that's left from them. And here he would have, he never wrote anything. It wasn't a venting journal. He would just write wonderful things about people. And then all of a sudden, it would stop. He'd stop in mid-sentence. And there'd be nothing else written. And I thought, oh my goodness, that was probably the time I said, hey, Brian, can you come and help me with something? And he just stopped income. So he was full of service. He loved to serve his family. He loved to serve me. If I could say anything, I would say that we definitely had a relationship that little girls dream of. We had that movie romance on my, my, and I don't just say this to say it because some people would say, oh, you're talking of the dead, but my girlfriends were were jealous and they would they would say you know I wish my husband would do that and I think oh you're right my husband's amazing he'd wait for me uh, in the hallway at church or if I was taking um, a drama class he would drive all the way out Uh, there's a there's a city that's not too far about 30 minutes away that I would go take this drama class he would drive out to pick me up he would come inside and wait for me. He'd never wait in the car and honk his horn. He'd come in and he'd wait, and it didn't matter how long I took or if people were talking to me. He was just patient. And just want, he wanted to be with me as much as I wanted to be with him. That's really cool. This is a beautiful love story. Mm-hmm. How do I spell Brian's name? B-R-I or B-R-Y? B-R-I. Mm-hmm. B-R-I. I just think we ought to honor him by having the correct spelling in my mind and 
I forgot to give a shout out to Rhonda Longsdale, who is the person that connected us for this podcast. So Rhonda, if you're listening, this podcast is possible because of you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rhonda. Um, how many years were you married to Brian um, before he died in the plane crash? We were married 10 years. We didn't get to spend our 10th anniversary together as he was away in the province beside beside Alberta. He was in B.C. We tried to get him home, and he was working working it out with another pilot, but then something happened, and it it seemed like someone above, you know, decided that they wanted to change those plans. So Brian wasn't able to come home for our anniversary, which was pretty sad because our anniversary is actually uh, July 22nd, and he died July 31st. Wow. Um, do you want to share with our listeners how he died? Well, uh, and I actually don't talk about this too much in the book. I sort of skim it, but um, his plane had, he wasn't in the plane that he was um, designated to fly, and he wasn't with the pilot that he had been training with. And he had just taken this new job, so he was in the right seat. So he was a co-pilot who was checking manuals and stuff. Now, I'm, I'm not a plane enthusiast. I'm not a pilot. So this is coming from the wife's perspective. Um, but he was flying a Convair 580 tanker, and he was. they were dumping air retardant, for those of you who are interested in that. Um, and his the, the plane that he was in had stopped, had landed, and they had to do some work on the altar. I think it was called the alternator. There were some things that they had to to fix, and then they went up. Now, um, and, and I do talk that, a little bit about this. Is What's this that? a tanker that is a firefighter-type plane? When yes. you say retardant. Yes. Okay. okay. I got yeah. That's what so I thought he, you meant. Yeah. I, uh, sorry, I just assume that, um, yeah, so air tankers. So, yeah, they would they would dump the air retardant on the fires. Because there were a lot of forest fires that year, a lot of forest fires in B.C., and that's where he was. And that's where the job he got hired was in B.C. So he, his job would take him away for spring and summer every year. And this is our first experience with it. Um, so I looked on my computer because he had sent, I don't know if he was allowed to, and he didn't know if he was allowed to, but he sent a link for me to log in to watch his plane. So on this screen were little dots, little dots flying around, and and I saw that his little dot wasn't moving. And I was, like, I had primary the next morning, and I was in charge of um, some things, and I had to get to church early. So I I went um, I went to bed early that night, and I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's just fueling. I don't, maybe it's not working. And I said my prayers, and I hopped into bed. Now my father-in-law actually lived with us, and our daughter was 15 at the time, and she was working at a restaurant, and he said that he would just go pick her up so that I could go to bed. And they heard on the radio, because Grandpa would listen to different radio stations than me, and they heard on the radio um, Brian's plane had crashed. Oh, my gosh. And so 
here's my daughter and grandpa driving home. And they get home and, and she says, well, she told me this is, you know, obviously I'm sleeping. She says, grandpa, we have to tell mom. So grandpa phones just to confirm. And um, I found this interesting that they would confirm with grandpa that yes, the plane, I, I guess I was expecting that, you know, they would tell, tell me but they told grandpa, yes, that's, that is correct. And he didn't have the heart to come wake me and tell me. And so she made her way up to my bedroom. Now, grandpa, little side note here, he had COPD, so emphysema, and it was just starting to get pretty bad. So when she came in the room and startled me awake, I immediately was getting up, getting ready, thinking, okay, this is grandpa. Okay, what do I got to do? Until the words registered. And she said, there's been an accident. Dad's dead. And then it's like, you're in a dream. It's the worst nightmare. I, I can't believe what's being said. Am I fully awake? What's going on? And my little girls who were sleeping so that I just let out a terrifying scream and woke up the whole household. Wow, that's really raw and really brutal moment in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely not enjoyable. And there's four... Very traumatic. There's, there's four kids at home at this point. Mm-hmm. So there's four kids. Um, your yeah, oldest, my youngest was three. So there's three so to the 15-year-old daughter. Yeah, so three, six, eight, and 15. All my little girls, yeah. Yeah, and then Yeah, just keep I did, telling us your story. What were those first days like or things you'd like to share oh, with our listeners? They were terrible and beautiful at the same time. Terrible because you're living this nightmare and you wake up in the morning and it had been raining a lot where I lived. And I woke up in the morning and the sun was shining. And so, you know, you get out of bed and you're smiling. And then I realized, what? Oh, my goodness. That wasn't a bad dream. That really did happen. Why is the sun shining? Why is the world still going on? Don't, doesn't everybody know that I am in pain? My husband is dead. So the whole world should stop. And you really feel that. You really feel like a huge betrayal of the universe that anybody could be outside being normal. You know, and if I heard somebody, a little child, yell, Daddy, my heart would break into a million pieces. You just wanted everybody to stop because you stopped. So the days following were... Yes, terrible, but there was, um, our home was veiled in the spirit. So the veil was very, very thin for us in our home. I lost a tremendous amount of weight. I went down to 95 pounds. Wow. And um, (laughs) if I could give any advice, it would be, please, Check with the person 
before you bring them food. Everybody brings food, but you are not wanting to eat anything. I had so many lasagnas that I was so sick of lasagna. I still can't. After nine years, I can barely eat lasagna. And some of those lasagnas, Richard, were very interesting. No offense to the person who, with their heart, brought us this lasagna, but somebody made a lasagna with alphabet vegetable soup. And we, we, we cut into the lasagna. We put it on our plate. I thought it was going to throw up. My daughter, Amberly, who's 15, looked over and said, Mom, Dad would say, let's just appreciate what we have. And so, in honor of Dad, we swallowed down that soup lasagna. But, um, yeah, you're not in the mood to eat. The best thing I think that anybody brought me was and they asked, they said, what do you want? And I said, can you just bring me like a deli platter? So if I feel like eating, I can just take a piece of meat or take a piece of fruit if there's some fruit. And you're, you're really not thinking about food. Um, and then the beautiful part, like I said, was that we had heaven in our home. My home felt, no disrespect, but my home felt holier than the temple during those days. Um, I had had a friend who had passed away from a brain tumor. And I remember I was struggling um, just to, you know, (laughs) just to go pee. I know I probably shouldn't say that, but I was so weak that I was falling trying to find the toilet and somebody caught me. And I could tell that the spirit wasn't Brian's spirit. And I just said out loud, Lucy? And I heard, we oh, And so that just filled me with so much peace, knowing that, one, it was a girl in my bathroom with me, and two, it was my friend. And then recognizing that it was her and, and actually being allowed to hear her respond to me was such a wonderful blessing. And so... From then on, I I told my kids, if you feel like there's somebody with you and you think you know who it is, why don't you just talk to them? Because if I were dead and I was on the other side and I'm helping you and you recognize me, that would make me feel so wonderful. And so, you know how, so that's what I mean. It was the worst, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. So you're walking both at the same, in the same moment. I love that. Um, you do a good job, Manetta, um, bringing us back to that moment. Um, I'm trying to make sure I've got the time right. Brian's been gone for about nine years, and you were with him for about 10 years. Is that about right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's um, he's almost, and I don't know if that feels like you, you've almost been, he's almost been gone as long as you've known him. I don't know if that's a good thing to say or... Not a good thing oh, to say. Oh, I think about it a lot. Do you? Yeah. I expect that the 10th year could be quite difficult. I have noticed, and I don't know if everyone feels this way, but whenever there is an anniversary coming up, you're, the anticipation of that Christmas or that birthday was way worse than the actual day. Interesting. The leading up to it is just brutal. You're feeling terrible. You're snapping. You're sad. And then on that day, it's not, it's, it's terrible, but it's not as terrible 
because you've already been living that for the days before. It's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about, since this is nine years removed, what would you say to your, if you could go back and talk to Annette in that first month or that first year, those first weeks, um, what would you say to your younger self now that it's nine years removed? And that's kind of like you talking to other people that have just had a tragedy occur. What would you say to yourself? Oh, I would give myself a big hug and tell myself how proud I am of being so strong. Yeah. There was a lot of enlightenment during during those moments. There was a lot of fog, but there was a lot of spiritual enlightenment. And you do things you don't think you'd ever do. And I would just tell myself, you got this. You know you got this. And this trial, you needed to go through this because you are meant to help other people. The book would not have happened without the trial. Being able to assist other people, knowing that there is life after death, knowing that trials make you stronger for real. It's not just a coin phrase. Things always happen with a plan, with a purpose. And if you're looking to Heavenly Father for help, you're going to get out of it faster and learn more than sitting there struggling alone. I like that answer. Talk about if I'm your friend and and Brian, you know, died and it's just in the first few days, what are, or the first week, what are, some things that are good things for me to say to you, and what are some things that aren't very good things for me to say to you? Mm. Well, I would say not to tell me not to cry in a public place. Um, that, That did happen. It's very important that people can cry and let it out. The best thing were, and I think this is individual, but for me, I loved when people wanted to hear about Brian because I just needed to talk. I needed to tell them all the wonderful things about Brian because I was so proud of him. He was a hero. I tell my children, yeah, your, your daddy was a superhero. He saved people's lives. He saved their homes. So just being able to talk and, and brag, if you will, and sharing all the spiritual experiences that came out of that tragedy with other people, just listening, showing up, and giving a hug. You don't actually have to say anything. You just have to be there. Maybe bring a box of Kleenex. I like great answers. I know these are kind of spontaneous, Annette, but you're giving great answers. And um, I love a couple things. I think, you know, when I see people cry, that makes me a little uncomfortable. (laughs) 
that I've learned mm-hmm. to that isn't about me in those situations. It's about the person I'm trying to bear and mourn and comfort. And if that person, mm-hmm. um, if that person's crying, and if that person's crying in public, yeah, I think that yeah, we would just put our arm around that person and let them cry and. Um, that seems to be a, a principle of kindness and therapy. And I liked also what you said is that I think it's great we continue to talk about Brian and people ask you questions about Brian. And um, even though, and you've remarried, we'll get to that. But I think one of the things I've learned is getting remarried doesn't change the grief um, process for um, the person who's died. It isn't like those are two different planes, <laughs> And so I would absolutely um, that as we that you honor Brian by writing a book and doing this podcast. But I, I I didn't I thought it would bring back pain for people to ask them about the person that died. But I've learned that often they want to talk about the person that died, and it doesn't like re-traumatize them about the death, but it it helps them to know that people are still thinking about that person and interested in that person and your thoughts about this, that person, is that correct? Or any additional thoughts to share on that? Oh yeah, actually it tugs on my heartstrings to think that anybody would forget him. So yes, I absolutely love to talk about him and we have, and we do every, every day because it would break my heart that my girls wouldn't know who their daddy was. Because he's a piece of who they are. You know, oh, my goodness, you're grinding your teeth. Daddy did that. (laughs) You get that from daddy. Or, oh, you're so laid back. You don't get that from mom. You get that from daddy. It's important that they know where they came from. I like that. Is it good for people to ask details of the plane crash? Like, I don't know, you know, people are sometimes interested in plane crashes and all the details around how it happened. Is that a helpful question or is that not particularly helpful? I don't have all the answers to that because I wasn't there. Um, I did see, this is when I said, remember I said, you'll do things that you don't think you'd never do. I don't write about this book, but I do imagine there's another book coming. (laughs) Good. Um, When, so after Brian passed, and this is a shout-out to the Canadian Fallen Firefighters Foundation. They were very supportive. Uh, even though Brian was a pilot because he had taken on the job of putting out forest fires, he was now considered a fireman. And they have just embraced our family with brotherly kindness. And, um, and I forgot where I was going with this little story, but... Um, Sorry, Richard, can you remind me? I, no, that's I got fine. That happens, <laughs> that happens in these podcasts. And I love that you're giving a shout-out to the community of firefighters there that's supporting you. But, yeah, just is it good for people to ask you the details of the plane crash? Oh, yes. Okay. You no, know, I don't know what so, sort of details they think about. But, you know, we sometimes are right. inquisitive about a car crash and did he suffer? Right. I mean, when people die, we sometimes want to know kind of the full story about the circumstances, and I've wondered if that's particularly helpful for the surviving family members. I haven't found it um, one way or the other. When we went to, this is where I was talking about, um, the Canadian Fallen Fire Founders 
Firefighters Foundation. So Brian's name is up on the fallen fireman's wall in Ottawa. And we were able to fly out for a celebration um, a year after, I believe it was a year after his passing. And there was a parade and everyone in uniform. It was wonderful. However, there was a gentleman there and he was the bird dog. So what that means is that Brian and his, his pilot were flying and there's a gentleman flying in another plane who for BC forestry, just to show BC forestry, yes, this is, this person's doing their job kind of thing. They would sometimes record sporadically what's going up on up in the air. And so this gentleman just happened to turn on the record and caught the last few moments of Brian's life on video. And I asked if I could watch it. And he was quite shocked and and said, are you sure about this? But there was this drive in me to see Brian, even though I couldn't see him, but know he's in that plane and be a part of his last moment and be so proud and so terrified. And, And yet, even though I saw it, to recount exactly what happened, I think I've been protected to not be able to share it properly. So what I remember is that their plane went and clipped some trees as it was ascending. They didn't have enough time to drop all the air retardant, which would have made them lighter so they could go up. And then they ended up nose diving and then creating a, a new fire on their own. And um, we did go and have lunch with some, some gentlemen who were around the time of the crash, and they started to explain the sound and the intensity of the fire and how it shook the earth. And at that moment was not something I wanted to hear. And then he realized and stopped talking. So um, I did see it. And yet, um, still so proud. You You want to capture every last moment you possibly can. At least I did. And so that's why I needed to see that. I needed to see that video. Now, um, I have since learned some things that I'm willing to share that are not in the book. Um, when when Brian did crash, there, from what I understand, there wasn't, um, and no disrespect, to the, but of the pilot, there was not a lot left. Right. And, um, but Brian's torso remained. And when I got the autopsy report, the autopsy report said that there was some unidentifiable material. And we, as Latter-day Saints, know about that protection. And for me, knowing that when they brought Brian home, um, that was actually Brian. It wasn't them trying to gather, you know, what they thought was Brian, but that torso was definitely his. And that's important to have that closure and know that that's, that's him. Even though I knew that he was now separated from his body and was really with us this entire time, it was still very important to me 
somehow that that he the main parts that create his body were still there it's pretty tender and i thank you for sharing that with us and i just admire you willing to talk about this and i have some tender some tears in my eyes um I think that's a very personal journey. I do like the way you felt impressed to see the video. Um, perhaps that in our minds, if we're thinking about a loved one who died tragically in an accident, our minds create all sorts of narratives that might add to our our pain. And maybe in some cases, like you saw, seeing exactly what happened, uh, maybe from a distance because it's not there, you're not in there in the cockpit with your husband, uh, but you're mm-hmm. seeing what happened, then maybe some of the fear and some of the unknowns are taken away, and you just have a factual understanding of what happened that maybe is part of the grieving process that allows you to move on. I'm not clinically trained, so I don't know if that's true, but um, so I would think every everybody can walk that road the way they feel is best for them, but technology does allow us sometimes to understand more about what happened, and some people may not want to know anything more, and they that may be traumatizing, and some people it may help bring closure to be able to understand more that happened. Um, I agree that mm-hmm. that other fellow who quickly picked up that explaining what happened when the plane crashed, that wasn't particularly helpful, and so I think, you know, I appreciate you sharing that part of the story too, what was and what wasn't, and I love the way you, you um, honor Brian um, during this last moment of his life and talk so positively about him doing everything that he could. Here he is out serving. He's, um, it's not like he's on doing something selfish about for him. He's out, you know, contributing to the community and knows he's in a dangerous situation and both him and his pilot are doing, trying to do the very best things, but some, you know, one or two things leads to what happened. Um, so thanks for sharing that part of the story with us. Anything to add there before we move on, Annette? Um, well, I wasn't going to share this, but I feel impressed, too. Um, night that Brian died, there were a lot of things that happened, in that, and that, again, is in my book. And I went up to my room. Who knows? It could have been the wee hours of the morning. And I just needed to know if he hurt. That was my greatest concern was, did he hurt? And I might get weepy here because it still touches me. But I remember praying out loud or talking to Brian or whatever it was that I was doing. And it probably took me 30 seconds or more to stammer out the words. Did it hurt? I just needed to know. I, I didn't want him to be in pain. And I knew that where he was, he could not lie to me. <laughs> so, and remarkably, I actually heard his voice say a little, but I'm okay. And that has comforted me many, many times, many times. Um. He said a little, but I'm okay. Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, I like the way you asked that question. I think sometimes confronting our worst fears and 
bringing them close is the best way to move on. Um, you could have wondered about that for a long time, and it may have added to the stages of grief and and just mm-hmm. the 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 difficult road you're on. But maybe in a way that was okay to face your worst fear, and and even if even articulating that out loud may have been helpful. But to take that in prayer and ask Brian um, and have faith that you would get an answer to me is a wonderful part of your story and to and to hear that answer and then be able to know and it's maybe the knowing that then allows you to move on i kind of like his answer <laughs> in a way i yeah. would i would have thought he said no <laughs> because everything i would know about that type of a plane crash would be um no but i like that he said a little but i'm okay mm-hmm. and i don't know if that mm-hmm. was physical fear the physical or the emotional knowing what was going to happen as he answered that, um, as he answered that. But I love that he answered in his voice and you took that prayer. And that's a pretty cool thing you just shared with us, Annette. Thank you. I used to worry about him every single day. I feel like my spirit knew how short a time we would have together and that we would be separated because I, for our entire marriage, I worried about his life. I worried about his health. I worried about his safety all the time. And when he passed, the fear of death also passed, knowing that it's not a scary thing that we make it out to be. It's harder for us who are left behind than it is for those who leave. And I believe that this isn't to make me sound puffed up at all, but I believe that we get the trials that we can handle. And if we were meant to be separated, maybe me being the one who was left behind was the way it was supposed to go. I don't know. Maybe Brian could have handled it with the girls. Maybe, maybe it would have been too much. Maybe, you know, there's all these maybes that you think in your head, but I do know that we are, we are given what we can handle, and if we turn to the Lord, He supports us. I like that. Um, talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ has comforted you in this tragedy. I couldn't have done it without the Savior, without faith. And I have often wondered if, if I didn't have a firm foundation, what would have happened? I would explain to my girls, because remember, they were little. I'd say, okay, imagine that our pain is like this glass of water. And it's full, right up to the top, overflowing. But if we keep praying, we ask Heavenly Father and Jesus to help us with our pain. He's not going to come around and just gulp it down. But he'll take a sip, and then he'll take another few sips. But then the pain's going to fill back up. So we got to keep praying so that eventually our cup will be empty and he'll have taken it all. I really love that. Um, talk to our, there's a couple questions there in my mind. Um, let's do this one. Just talk about um, a lot of people um, get remarried after um, the love of their life dies. Um and some people on the outside sort of think, well, maybe you didn't really love them or 
you've moved on pretty quickly, or I guess grief is done. Talk to our listeners about how just be, and I'm assuming you'll answer it this way. Just, you know, you got remarried. Kevin's your husband and you've had two kids with Kevin. Talk about. Oh, no, he, he had to. He had oh, he two had children. two kids. So Kevin yeah. came to the marriage mm-hmm. with two kids. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and just talk about marrying Kevin, your, your husband, you know, that didn't sort of, re, you know, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be looked at to mean anything, I guess, about Brian um, or your grief for Brian or your love for Brian. Talk about that mm-hmm. with our listeners a little bit. Well, that was a very difficult, very difficult part of my life. And yes, indeed, people, people were really mean, Richard. They were really, really mean because they didn't understand. They weren't living this. It wasn't their life. And they would say mean things and they would, you know, it was very difficult. Um, my book talks about how Kevin and I got together. But definitely something to consider is that if you can have another person in your life who will support you as you grieve, it's a healthier environment. Why do you want to be, why would I want to be a mom with little girls and always be depressed and sad you know, and maybe suicidal or whatever, have mental issues because I'm alone and I have nobody to love and nobody to love me. There's that big void, not just the Brian void, but this heart that's not being used. And so having a man who loves you, who respects your relationship with your deceased spouse, and that's a big thing. I don't think it's Everybody can handle that, but it takes a real big man to come into a relationship, love you, and never make you stop loving that other person. He was there for me during the ugliest trial of my life. He was there when I was screaming or crying or being so miserable, and he just it like I wasn't nice I was grieving I was hurting and I didn't have anybody but Kevin and he stood there like a rock and that just shows what kind of man he is so definitely it, you're still grieving you are grieving the max like you are so sad but it's like when Brian passed away how I said you I was living the greatest and the worst time at the same time. So here I'm grieving and my heart is broken, but it's stretching to love Kevin and Jade and Brayden. So I'm going through both things at the same time and growing and leaning on this wonderful man who's my husband. So I, it, And it's difficult because, yes, I did have a lot of people, like I said, who would who would say some unkind words, but they didn't know. They didn't understand. And so I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's important that we just, that's the natural man, right, that would say those kind of things. But you definitely didn't want to be walking in my shoes to understand what I was going through. So now I have this opportunity to share with other people. Yeah, please don't judge them. And if you do, just 
say you're sorry. Um, yeah, because it's it's a very difficult road, a very difficult road. Uh, how long after Brian died did you marry Kevin? Well, that's a surprise for the book, but it was um, it was a miraculous event, and it was sooner than I had a plan. That's for sure. Because <laughs> we'll, in my mind, I was never marrying again. <laughs> we could let's leave that as a surprise for the book. Let's don't answer that question. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but I will give this perspective. I sometimes think that societally we sort of create these expectations about how long someone should wait till they remarry. Like, obviously, if someone waits 10 years, no one would say, wow, they got married really quick. <laughs> but there's right. some there's some range in there, and I don't, and you will read your story in the book where people might say, wow, that's really quick. And, and I think, and I've made that mistake too. And what I would recommend to all our listeners, and I think what you're teaching is, we shouldn't go down that road as independent bystanders of another person's situation. We should mm-hmm. not project timing onto other people and recognize that everybody's right. journey is different. Um, and then I think one of the things that I've mentioned earlier that you've taught us is also remarriage doesn't end the grief. And it's not like now that you're married to Kevin, and I love the way you talk about how Kevin honors Brian and keeps him part of the family. And that's just a credit to Kevin and his confidence in who he is and his role. And I love that he mourned with you um, because just getting married to Kevin didn't end the morning with Brian. And it sounds like Kevin got that and was able, Mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the reason you fell in love with Kevin is his ability to mourn and, um, and see those Christ-like attributes in Kevin. So, I just think, you know, we as bystanders shouldn't look at another situation and say this is the way they should do it. Or, um, mm-hmm. And I think maybe when someone loses a child, you'll have to tell me this is a good analogy or not. It just came to my brain. If if someone loses a child at birth and then they have another one, I don't think the new child replaces the child that died. And it doesn't end the mourning and the grieving and we may want to feel every from our perspective we want everything to maybe be emotionally okay and because we don't want anybody to be hurting but i think we have to realize that you remarrying and someone having another child doesn't change the fact that brian has died and you really miss him um and a child has died and we really miss that child is all that okay or do you have any additional thoughts to share on all that well i actually do we um we don't live the other person's story, so we don't know how that came to be. We don't know if they prayed about it and knew that this is what was right, or if they just rushed in and made a mistake. And that's, that's a personal journey for the person living it. So that's, yeah, why we need to be cautious of what we say, because you really don't know what has happened to make that happen. And also, there was somebody who said to me, and I I don't remember, maybe she's from Africa, I can't remember where she was from, but she said, no, no, when someone loses a spouse where I come from, they get married right away because your children need somebody. You need somebody. So it's a different mentality in different places. 
And my kids, not just me, but my kids needed somebody to fill a fatherly role. They were so little. Like, why make it harder on yourself if you don't have to? I mean, I'm not telling everyone to run out and get married, but if it's the right thing and you know it's the right thing, I got the same flack when I married Brian because I, I prayed and I absolutely knew that this was the man to marry. And people would say, what? You're getting married? It's not been a year. It's been months. And I, I knew it was right. So when you, when you have that absolute conviction, you just do what the Lord says is right, and it works out. And you're happier in the long run than if you had tried to figure it out on your own. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, every time we start one of these podcasts, I all these nuggets of of insights come out. So thank you, Annette. Um, mm-hmm. We're kind of coming to the end of the podcast. Do you um, are there other parts of your story you'd like to tell? Um, and maybe I'll ask you this question: Why a lot of people that have a spouse die don't feel impressed to write a book? Um, I think it's really cool that you're writing a book, and you seem to just be following impressions to do what God wants you to do. Share with our listeners why you felt it was important to write a book. Well, ever since I joined the church, I've always been asking Heavenly Father, what do you want me to do now? What's the next step? I guess I can kind of coin that phrase to my name. What's the next step? Because I'm always curious to stay on the right track, um, going down the path that He has planned for me so that I'm (laughs) fumbling in the dark. And... This was his idea. It wasn't so much my idea as it was his idea. And uh, I've cried a lot about it, actually, because it's so raw and vulnerable. But I know that Heavenly Father has a plan and that there's at least one child of his out there that my book or my interviews or when I speak on stage, there's something that I can share that's helpful to somebody else. And if I can help somebody to lighten their load so it's not as hard, if they don't have to go through the trenches that I had to, that I can help them. So really, the book was a team effort. I did it because I was guided to do it. And so, and it's a scary, it's a scary uh, place where I am right now where I'm, waiting on bated breath sort of thing, waiting to see how the world will receive it. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, And once again, Annette's book is um, Fly Again. Tell us about, if you want to, or maybe you want to save that for the book, tell us how you came up with the name. I love the name. (laughs) Well... That's funny, too. Um, I was speaking with my publisher, and I I had a name that I thought was pretty good, but he sort of said, well, mm, and I, I said, Heavenly Father, quick, i got to have a title right now. And so Fly Again just popped right into my head, and I said, well, what about Fly Again? And he said, oh, I love it. So really, <laughs> all of this is not so much my doing as just me doing what I, was, what I feel impressed to do. I love that. Um, anything you'd like to add, Annette, before we close off? Well, if I could give somebody hope that there is life after death, 
and that your loved ones are so close, closer than you imagine, and that they still care about you, they still love you, I would, I would want to send that message out because I know it's true. And that would be from my heart to those who are suffering. And, and I know that the experiences that I share in my book aren't what everybody um, goes through, but I'd like to just give somebody hope that, you know, it, this life is so short. Let's just do our best to be happy and we'll be with them again. I love that. Thank you, Annette Tidball, T-I-D-B-A-L-L, um, for being on our podcast. Once again, look for Annette's book called Fly Again at Amazon. I, The way I think it works at Amazon, you all listeners know more than I do, so I won't even give you any advice for searching on Amazon, but I think you can find it. And Annette, on behalf of all of us, um, thank you for having the courage to share some of your story, and it does give hope. And I think I use this quote, the wounded healer. Um, we're all the wounded healers in the sense that authentically, le- the authentic leader knows deserts, I'm paraphrasing, to lead other people out of the desert. So you are the wounded healer. Um, you're tremendously wounded because Brian died. And that's a tragedy. But you're also a leader and a healer Um, because now you know what that desert's like, and you can lead other people out of the desert. It's one of the reasons I love Elder Holland and his Broken Vessel talk, where he talks about his own journey with some emotional trauma and illness. I don't know if illness is the right word, but just some really dark times of his life. And, And so we all have those, and as we share those authentically with others, we give each other hope. And so thank you for who you are and the book you've written, and we'll sign off. This is Richard Osler. Signing up from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.